Welcome back to the Psalms, or what has been called the Psalter. We are in the 41st Psalm this morning. I invite you to turn there. I don't have the page number. It may be in your bulletin, but I'm not sure. But 41st Psalm. I picked this Psalm this morning because that is where we left off in May of last year when we were in Psalm 40, May 28th, in a sermon called Trusting God Between Two Worlds. David ends the psalm by saying, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord gives thought to me. And if the Lord wills, I plan to preach about 10 psalms this year. I should say 10 psalms a year, which means that if we're in the 40s this year, I plan to preach 41 through 50 in the next few months. And at this pace, I would finish in 2034, 11 more years of preaching the Psalms, and I would be 58. If, if God gives us that long, gives me that long to live and preach. Bonnie, hang in there. We hope you can stay as long. The Psalms are the glorious songbook and prayer book of the Bible. The Psalms move us to praise and lament, to give thanks, to see wisdom, to behold the Lord God who cares for and keeps his covenant promises, to real people who are struggling and sinning and suffering and singing and sulking and doubting and dealing with depression and in danger. The Psalms are like a medicine chest for the heart of the Christian. They are not only meant to be read, but to be prayed and recited and sung and meditated on and and practiced. They are to be consumed to the depth of our hearts. Please pray that God would grow us into Christ followers that he intends us to be through spirit-inspired songs of scripture like Psalm 41 this morning. I pray that at the end that you would maybe write something in the box below of your notes or wherever it is. God, this is what I need to meditate on this week. I need to let my mind soak into it and draw deep into it and think deeply that I might feel what you want me to feel, obey what you want me to obey, and practice it. The Psalms ultimately point us to Christ who knew the Psalms, sang the Psalms, prayed the Psalms, and fulfilled the Psalms. So, Psalm 41. Now, if you look there, you should see that your Bibles will show at the end of Psalm 41, this is the end of book one of the Psalms, or beginning of book two starts in Psalm 42. The Psalms were divided in the Hebrew Bible into five different books. Book 1 consisted of 1 through 41, book 2, 42 through 72. I'm not going to go through all of them. And at the very end of this Psalm, you have a benediction or doxology that ends the whole first section. And if you looked at the end of all of the other books, they end with something similar. Ours ends with this, verse 13, you can see. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, 
from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And if you were to go to verse chapter 72, Psalm 72, the last verse, blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And then book three at the end of Psalm 89, blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. You see that pattern? In fact, the only place Psalm uses the amen, amen is at the ends of this section. Okay, the section began with Psalm 1. You remember that? Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel or the ways of the wicked, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like He is planted like a life-giving stream that causes him to prosper, endure, bear fruit in season, and not be like worthless chaff like the wicked. The Lord knows the way of the godly, but the way of the wicked will perish. That's how it begins. Blessed is the man who walks in God's word, the woman that walks in God's word. That's where it begins, and it ends in Psalm 41 with another blessed Blessed is the one. This is a 13-verse psalm. It's from David. And I want to read it. And as I read it from the English Standard Version, I want to re- I'll probably do this this year. I want to replace, in the, at least the reading of the Scripture, where, where our version says, The Lord, in all capitals, L-O-R-D. I want to replace it with Yahweh, which is how the original language read in Hebrew. Yahweh is a personal name. The Lord is a title or a replacement for that name. I have a wife, but I don't call her the wife. I call her by her first name. Hence, I want to prefer saying Yahweh as I read this, as we hear, this is God's covenant-keeping name to his people. Psalm 41. Here it is. I'm going to read it to you. Blessed is the one who considers the poor, or you could say the helpless. In the day of trouble, Yahweh delivers him. Yahweh protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. Yahweh sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Yahweh, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when did he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Yahweh, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me, 
My enemy will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence. Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. I entitled this sermon, Blessed in Blessed in the day of trouble. Are you in the day of trouble? I know that some of you are, or were, or will be. There are seasons of my life that I surely have felt that to be the case, And there are some days when I really feel it to be the case, the day of trouble. Seasons when our hearts are hurting, aching, struggling, overwhelmed, vexed, hurt, floundering, thrown off, sick, maybe sorrowing, really, really discouraged. I've felt that. How about you? Perhaps it's your work. It just sucks all the life out of you. Perhaps it's your health. You've got that call and it's cancer. Or you have something that's going to mess with your body for the rest of your life. And it's really hard on you. Or on your family member. Or maybe it's that relationship that is just crushing you. And you can't recover. The stress of life with everything seems to come at you at once. This psalm speaks comfort and security to us for times like these. I wonder about David who wrote this psalm. David had many days of trouble. And I wonder if this psalm comes from the events recorded in 2 Samuel Chapter 15 through 17. We don't know that for sure. It says that in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel 15 through 17, that his son, a very rebellious, immoral, and problematic son, a violent son, we should say, that his son Absalom, David's the king, He had been reigning for a while. Now he's God's man. Absalom would go out to the gate. Well, let me read a portion of it. It says that Absalom would go to the gate and he would, it says in 2 Samuel 15, Absalom would say, see to people, your claims are good and right, but there's no man designated by the king to hear you. He started to cause discord, causing people to doubt whether the king was good or not, fair or not, or right or not. And Absalom got them to doubt and doubt and doubt, and he would try to meet their needs. And it says here, so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. David hears this news. He knows it's really bad. And so he seeks to flee Jerusalem, the capital. He doesn't want a civil war with his son, but it seems like it's coming. And the priest tells David, you need to take the Ark of the Covenant with you. Get out. But David says, no. I entrust myself to God at his care. Leave the Ark here. He basically says to Zadok, the priest, 
carry the ark, take the ark back to the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he'll bring me back to the city and to my dwelling place. But if not, if God has no pleasure in me, behold, here I am. Let God do what seems good to God. I trust him. If, if, I, if he doesn't delight in me being the king anymore, I just entrust that to God. It's in his hands. A little later, we read that David's betrayal was deeper and bigger. It sounds, not only did his son betray him, not only did many of the hearts of Israel betray him, but his trusted counselor, his friend, Ahithophel, who was so revered, he was like almost the voice of God. Everybody revered his wisdom and counsel. He was his right-hand counselor. He had gone over to Absalom. It says that David was at the Mount of Olives, and he's outside of Jerusalem, and he's weeping. He's overwhelmed. My son has done this. God, what are you going to do? And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, oh, Lord, would you please turn the counsels of Ahithophel into foolishness? Because I know he's so smart. If he counsels my son, it's bound to work. He's so, so crafty, and he's such such a good thinker that way. Ahithophel, his friend, a close, close counselor, betrays him. It says that in chapter 16 of 2 Samuel, this is, David goes out, and if you read the accounts, David was so kind and so merciful to the king before him, Saul, who wanted to kill David all of the time. And usually what would happen is if one monarch took over for another monarch, they might kill the rest of the monarch if, it was, if there was turbulence there or if there was betrayal. But David said, no, I am going to treat Saul's family with love and care and mercy. He did. And David's leaving. I mean, he's, he's kicked and he is overwhelmed and he's weeping and his best friend has betrayed him, his son has betrayed him, the people of Israel has betrayed him. And as he goes out of the city, it says that some of Saul's house, his family, a man named Shammai, the son of Gera, came and he began to curse David. He threw stones at David and the servants of King David and all the people and his mighty men were on David's left and right hand. And Shammai said to David, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, which was not true. David did not kill the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, evil's on you. You are a man of blood. David's walking and thinking, This is not fair. This is wrong. And Abishai, the son of Zariah, that's one of David's mighty men, his guards. He says, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let's go off and take off his head. David didn't say, yeah, go do it. But the king, David, said, what have I to do with you, sons of Zariah? If he's cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David... Who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to his man, Abishai, and to all the servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more may this Benjaminite leave him alone? Let him curse. For the Lord has told him to. 
It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for the cursing today. So David and his men went on the road while Shammai went along the hillside opposite him, cursing as they went, and he threw stones at them and flung dust. We read in the chapters that follow that God delivers David and keeps David. He causes Absalom to ignore the counsel of Ahithophel, and and they are defeated, and what Ahithophel does is he finds this out, he goes, sets his affairs in order at his house, and he goes and he hangs himself as he ponders his treachery to the king. David's son, Absalom, is killed in the rebellion, and David is rescued. David grieves, but he's rescued. And I wonder if David wrote this psalm as he thinks about the turbulent time in his life and God's deliverance. And as we look at this psalm, I want us to see two categories. I want, it starts out, oh, the blessedness, oh, the blessedness. I want to I use that, that idea. Are you blessed? Are you the blessed people of God? I hope you are. And I want you to see two things, the comfort of the blessed and the traits of the blessed. What, what comfort comes to those who are truly blessed by God? And what are the traits, the character traits, the characteristics that this passage describes is true of the blessed? You know, the blessed, it's, it's, it's a churchy word. How you doing? I'm blessed. Oh, you must go to church. Or you must have gone to church at one time. It's a way the Bible speaks. The, the word blessed means a joyful spiritual condition of those who are right with God and the pleasure and satisfaction that is derived from it. Not a self-righteous pleasure, but a joy that God is for me and not against me, and he's going to care for me and watch over me. God's favor is upon me, bringing true happiness. It is the kind that is described in Psalm 4 when David says, you have put more joy in my heart than everyone that has, when they have their grain and wine abounding and their hearts are joyful from that, Oh, you have put more joy in my heart because you, I'm, I'm counted among you. You're for me. In your presence is fullness of joy. Oh, to have the blessedness and, be a, and the blessing that God gives to his people. There's nothing better. It's the fullness of promises of God that come to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let me start with this, the comfort of the blessed. The comfort of the blessed. I want you to look here. Number one, the blessed or the blessed are prepared for the day of trouble. Oh, the blessedness, faith church, would you hear this? Of being prepared in the day of trouble? No insurance company can compare to this glorious assurance. There are people all over the world living, thinking they're secure, and they are so insecure, and they are not ready for the day of trouble. Oh, they may have invested in gold. 
They may have all of the life insurance policies and health policies, and they may have a bunker in which they protect themselves for certain calamities, but they are not ready for the day of trouble like this passage talks about. Are you prepared for the day of trouble? When cancer strikes, thank God that there are many saints in this room when cancer has struck, they grieve but they grieve as those who have hope and say, I know who my Redeemer is, and he will keep me until he has me here, and then he will take me home. Are you ready for the day of trouble when you get that call about that loved one? When what you feared actually comes to pass? Because that's the, that's the world we live in. This psalm says... In the day of trouble, Yahweh delivers them. And I I want you to notice this from the psalm. Two things about this, about this day of trouble that we are prepared for. The blessed are not removed from trouble, but they're cared for in trouble. In this world, we are not removed from trouble We are cared for in trouble. Psalm 34, David says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. Think of David, Paul, Joseph, Job, Jeremiah, Daniel, Peter, Naomi, God was writing his beautiful story and growing his people in their days of trouble. I love what Matthew Henry writes in his commentary. Note, God has promised his people that he will strengthen them and make them easy under their bodily pains and sicknesses. He has not promised that they shall never get sick, nor that they shall not lie long languishing, nor that their sickness shall not be unto death, but he has promised to enable them to bear affliction with patience and cheerfully to wait the issue. The soul shall be his grace, be made to dwell at ease when the body lays or lies in pain. I have experienced that in small doses, and I have seen that as a pastor in the hearts and minds of of different Christian saints in our churches, where I've seen you look me in the face and say, I'm hurting, and God's healing grace in the midst of the pain is so good, pastor. God prepares and protects and cares for us in the day of trouble. Note, the blessed are not removed from the day of trouble, but they are cared for in the day of trouble. And notice, the blessed will have enemies. If you live long in this life and are faithful and righteous, you will have enemies. This psalm, we see aspects of the day of trouble. Do you see them? See the aspects of the day of trouble that relate to his enemies? There's sickness. See how he says, heal me. Sustains me on my sick bed in verse 3. So there's sickness. Days of trouble include sickness. 
Sin, do you see in verse four, I have sinned against you. That, that's gonna torment you if you care. Slander, verses four or five through nine are about the evil words, the gossip, the slander, the talking, the chatter to just make David's life miserable. Have you had that? Have you experienced that? If you will. Stabs in the back, look at verse 9. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, I ate bread with, he lifted up his heel against me. And though we don't see it directly, Satan. Oh, Satan provokes and stirs and wants to destroy our faith and cause us to fall. We will have enemies. The day of trouble is real. But note what he says. Listen to the protection the preparation, the care in the day of trouble. Look at verses two and three with me. Yahweh protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. And then he, it's like he's, he just breaks away and goes, I gotta talk to God for a minute. You, God, you, did not, you do not give him, the, what, the blessed, up to the will of his enemies. Yahweh sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. This is a beautiful word. If you want something to meditate on, meditate on the phrases of God's care for you in the day of trouble. Verses 2 and 3. He protects and he keeps him alive, he says. He calls him blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. Oh, you... If we were left up to the will of those that would want to hurt us, we would be undone. But you know what is a beautiful and glorious remedy to the will of our enemies is the good will of God towards his people. God's will is for you and caring for you and loving you. Now, verse 3 is, tells us that David at some point here was sick, at least soul sick. Absalom, maybe it's on the Mount of Olives and he's He's just so overwhelmed. Here it says he's on a sick bed. Literally, it just said bed. But in the Hebrew context, bed here would mean the sick bed. And he says, oh, Yahweh, he sustains his blessed people on the sick bed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. I love this, this word play. I, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I, I rely on commentators as I read this. But literally, this passage is, David is saying, God sustains his own, and God is like a nurse to them. I, I love that. I love that idea. My wife is a nurse. She's at, a, she's at McLaren right now caring for people in their worst hour. And it says that literally this has to do with God is like a nurse who comes and fluffs the, the godly's pillows making their bed comfortable and at ease in the midst of their pain, and at the right time, delivering them if that he so chooses. It's that kind of imagery. That's what God, the gracious, merciful God, does for his own. He cares, he sustains, he protects, he gives blessings. And the goodwill of Yahweh shelters us from the ill will of the wicked, including Satan, who wants to destroy us. I'm so thankful for the words that you sang to me and I sang to you a few minutes ago. Though Satan or trial should buffet, though trial should come, let, let 
This blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has and ultimately has shed his own blood for my soul. He has cared for my blessed estate, my helpless estate, and making it a blessed one. Praise God. Now, this psalm says these things are true, and it ends the psalm, verses 11 and 12. He says, the blessed not only are prepared for the day of trouble, The blessed enjoy God's favor forever. Look at verse 11 and 12. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemies will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. David wondered if he had God's favor when he fled his son and his his son was going to kill him. And yet he said, God... If you delight in me, you'll restore me. If not, I entrust my soul to you. I'm not going to seek revenge. He writes after the fact, I think, here, and he says, God did delight in me. And he's not only delighted in me, he's going to keep me forever. And so is true for all those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you think nothing could be better than this? A God delighting in you and being in that God's presence without end. There is nothing more blissful and securing and comforting than to have the God of the universe who created every pleasure, comfort, joy that we could ever experience and he be for you and delight in you and you be with him forever. Now, who who gets this blessedness? To whom is the blessedness given? What are the traits? Now, I want you to see the traits. Now, when I say the traits, I'm not, here's the formula for how you get blessed. It's all the grace of God. But this is the attributes of those who are blessed that God works in it. And as we see these traits, our hearts, may they hunger for this. How is the blessed described? I want to share them with you. They should woo us and compel us to follow them as commands with great promise. That's what believers do. They say, oh, I need to do this because I trust God. He's so good. They should bid us to follow him with trusting devotion. They should make us long for these truths to grow in us for us to pursue them with God's help. For those who are saved here, that's most of you, would you hear, would you trust, and would you long for these things to be true in your life and pray that and seek them? And for those who are not saved, I hope your heart longs for them and that you will look to Christ today. So what are the traits of the blessed? Let me give you five briefly. Number one, the blessed shows mercy to the poor, weak, and helpless. See verse one, blessed is the one who considers the poor. That, that word poor means to the helpless those who are poor and needy and unfortunate. And he says, he who considers. And that idea has to do those who seek, think rightly about the poor and broken and needy and helpless. They, and they act rightly. They show a kindness and a care. They give a consideration. A king would consider the poor and make sure that no bribes are given and that justice is 
People do not respect person, but show true justice. Those who have will care for those that do not have. They will have a consideration towards those. Specifically, it has to do with for those who have a kindness towards their brother in Israel, the people, the covenant people of God. It was God's will for God's people to care for those less fortunate than them. I want you to think about, we just got through Ruth in the book of December, in the month of December. Think of Boaz to Naomi showing this, Psalm 41.1, care, he was blessed. Think of David, and David is the great-grandson of Boaz. Literally, verse 1 and the psalm could be labeled from Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive Mercy. David had care for the weak and the vulnerable. He cared about justice. Deuteronomy 10 told us to do that. He says, for the Lord God is a God and he's the Lord of lords. He's the great, the mighty, the awesome God. He never, who is not partial and he does not take a bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner. He gives him food and clothing. And so God says, so love the the foreigner who travels in your land, the sojourner. Therefore, for you were a sojourner in the land of Egypt. The blessed show care for the poor. Do you do so? Do you consider those less fortunate with you? And it might be literally, materially, they don't have what you have, and you know they're in a bad position. Are you thoughtful towards them? Are you caring towards them? And do you want to help them? And, but for a lot of times, it might be you see somebody in a bad position, they're always depressed. They're always messed up. Life is never going good for them. Life just seems to crumble all the time. How do you consider them? Do you go, I've got to stay away from them. They're a mess. They must have done something really wrong. Man, they're making loser decisions over and over again, and maybe they are. Is that, I don't think that's the kind of considering the broken, the humble. David, at the end of the last psalm, said, as for me, I am poor and needy. You see, I wonder about you, how how do you view others in their day of trouble? You have others in this room in the day of trouble. How do you view them? How do you care for them? How do you pray for them? Maybe they snap at you. Maybe that person at work is just cruel and you have no idea what they're really going through. How do you view people in a bad position? Do you show mercy? Do you consider the poor? Number two, the blessed, they cry out for mercy. I love this. You want to know how to be blessed? You don't earn it. You cry out for mercy. Look at verses four and 10. Do you see see what's common there? As for me, I said, O Yahweh, be gracious to me. Verse 10, but you, O Yahweh, be gracious to me. Now that word gracious literally means have mercy upon me and show me your grace. Many translate it mercy. David says, God, have mercy on me. I need it. I need your healing. Verse 4, 
I need you to heal, literally, heal me is actually heal my soul, for I've sinned against you. More on that in just a minute. And in verse 10, oh, be gracious to me, raise me up. I'm afflicted. I am overwhelmed by my enemies. He laments against his enemies, verses 4 through 9. He cries out to God to forgive him and to heal him. The blessed are justified by his grace and mercy. And they're like that tax collector that I read during the confession. Friends, if you've been a Christian for one year or 45 years, it never stops being your prayer, prayer, oh God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And when you find yourself in the day of trouble, even when you feel like you deserve that day of trouble, cry out to God like David for mercy. And he brings his grace. Number three, the blessed are concerned about their sin before God. This might sound negative. The happy are concerned about their sin before God. That's blessed. But I want you to see that. Do you care about your sin and how it is against God? Notice what David does in in verse 4. He says, Yahweh, be gracious to me. Heal my soul. Heal me. For I have sinned against you. He doesn't go, I'm a victim. And he could say I'm a victim because of all his enemies and Absalom and all of that. But he doesn't, he knows when it comes to Absalom that he had failed over and over again as a parent. And you see it and you can trace it in 2 Samuel. He sees time and time again the consequences are coming because of his sin. And yet he is not shamed to go, oh God, please have mercy on me. I have sinned against you. And I think what we need to see here is we can, we can be humbled and ashamed and feeling guilty, but do we feel the weight of I've sinned, not just against me because I have consequences, against me because I feel, I feel bad about it. And I don't want to feel bad. I want to feel good. But for David, it was, I've sinned against you. Sit against you. Oh, the, the blessed are so humble. They say, I care about my relationship with God. God's a holy God. I love God. And God, it grieves me that I sinned against you. Like David in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight so that it may be justified by you. David was afflicted by many things, but what he cared more for than anything was a right relationship with God. His soul being well mattered far more to him than anything else. His soul being in right relationship to God. Oh, that we would care for that more than anything, brother and sister. And oh, if you're here this morning and you say, I don't have any healing for my sin. I have not been cleansed from my sin. I'm in my sin and it's bound, it's totally destroyed me. And I have, I'm going to hell. I know it. Oh, you have not sinned as much as God can show you mercy if you would turn to him and receive his forgiveness and repent and look to him. He shows mercy to sinners, to the biggest and baddest of them all. How are you doing with this? Do you feel your sin against an almighty God? Who do we think we are 
How do we rebel against him day after day and ignore him? How do we doubt him and trust something else? How do we ignore him? How do we not go to him? Oh, may we confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David, a sinner, still believes God will help him because God loves to show mercy. That's who he is. I, I read this. Friends, you will get more help from the God you have wronged than from the friend you have helped. I like that. You will get more help from the God you have wronged all the days of your life than all of the friends combined. And David's learning that because he's going to say, some of my friends have abandoned me. But not the God who I wronged and sinned against. He is so humble in receiving me once again. Fourthly, the blessed entrust themselves to a God, them to God's justice, and not revenge. Verse 10 looks like he wants revenge. Look at me. Look with me at that. But you, O Yahweh, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. Sounds like, would you raise me up so I could get them back? And David is the king of Israel. He, I don't think, just from the, all of the things you, I read about Shammai, he's not trying to get Shammai. He's like, yeah, take his head off. David says, would you restore me so that I could bring justice back? Because that's my job. In fact, David wasn't going to even take the Ark of the Covenant out. He says, no, if God has no pleasure in me, why would I want it? I trust him. I think David entrusted himself, like First Peter, he entrusted his soul to a faithful God and did what's right. Oh, that we would do that. Lastly, I just want you to see that the blessed are wholehearted to God. He says, you have upheld me because of my integrity. This does not mean that David was sinless. We know that because he said, I have sinned against you. But his integrity means he had a wholeness in his heart towards God. He was wholehearted towards God. He, he, was, he was real. He was real in his sincerity and confession, and his devotion and his desire was to not exalt his own kingdom, but to God's kingdom. And he says, you have held me for that, upheld me for that. And oh, the blessed are those who say, I know I'm a sinner, but I want God. And I want him to clean me more than I want my comfort. This word has to do with the simplicity. He was simple. It's just God. God's my God. I want him. I'm simply devoted to you. I'm not complicated when it comes down to my devotion. David was not saved because he was sinless, but because of his faithful trust in God. Now, let me conclude here. David prayed this prayer. And so should we. This psalm should move us to say, oh, how I want and rejoice that God gives me this blessed comfort for the day of trouble and now in Jesus Christ. He has brought me in Christ. Oh, that I would seek him like the psalmist does. That I would seek mercy. I would consider the poor as I remember my own poverty. Lord, give me mercy and forgive my sins and help me to entrust my enemy to you. Did you notice that David is not the only one who prayed this psalm. His son prayed this psalm. The greater David, he prayed this psalm. 
Jesus prayed this psalm. He considered the poor and he became poor himself so that we could become rich in God. Jesus was cared for by the Father and his angels when on his sickbed of torment in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Father sustained and cared for him all the way along. Jesus sang this song as he faced the slandering threats of Pharisee, Roman soldier, criminal on the cross, and probably us if we were there. He faced the jeers and taunts of the serpent who thought he had him by the throat. Jesus sang this song as he sat in the upper room and Judas ate the Passover and then went out to betray him. If you would remember John 13, 18, Jesus says, I am speaking not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. A quotation from Psalm 41, 9, referring to Judas. This Jesus had no sins of his own to confess, but he cried out for our sins. He cried, heal them, for they have sinned against you. Take me instead. Jesus cried to the Father, Be gracious to them and raise them up, for I will be obedient to you and die in their stead on the cross. Oh, friends, may we gear ourselves up. May we hold fast to this blessed God who is blessed forever, everlasting, forever lasting. Amen and amen through Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that when Jesus was reviled. Jesus did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to to you, Father, who judges justly. Father, thank you that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we've been healed. Father, thank you, and I pray that if, that we'd feel the joy, the weight, and maybe the invitation, if we're not there yet, that we were straying sheep, but because of your grace, we have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of our souls, Jesus Christ. Oh God, please help us now. In Jesus' name, amen.